Traders Point, how we doing? Hey, it's good to be with you. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors around here. And to everyone at the campuses and everyone watching online, welcome. So glad that you're with us. And I just want to kick off a special announcement before we get rolling today. You just saw a clip on it, but it's for all of our students, all the students in the room, middle school and high school, all the parents of students. For anyone in here that kind of knows a student a little bit, all right, this one is for you. September 14th, one big night at our Northwest campus. I'm telling you, you do not want to miss it. It's a night filled with food and fun and even a professional fireworks show. Take my word for it. I worked in student ministry for years. I served there, and there is nothing like this night. Check out the website for all of the details. You do not want to miss it. But as far as today goes, we're continuing in our series, Six Words That Can Change Your Life. And maybe you hear that and you get a little weird, like, is this some kind of like quick fix scheme? Like, what's going on here? And it's not. It's actually the exact opposite of that. What we're doing in this series is taking a deep dive into our lives. Because we all have some stuff going on underneath the surface. We have some relationships that need a little bit of maintenance. We have some habits that need to be altered. And what we've said is kind of what this comes down to, a lot of that starts with us. A lot of that can change with the disposition of our hearts. And sometimes that can happen with a word. A word can start all of that. And if you were here last week when we kicked this thing off, all I can say is wow. You get it? You see what I did there? I love inside jokes. I always wanted to be a part of one. Uh, But seriously, I love the way Aaron kicked it off last week by talking about wow. And how wow is the word that we use when we can't find the words to say. Wow is just really what falls out of our mouths. Now, today is pretty much the exact opposite of that, all right? The word that we're going to be looking at today is not one that just falls out of our mouths. A lot of times it's a word that comes out kicking and screaming. It's one of the hardest words we will ever say. And I'm going to need a little bit help, a little bit of help with this one. All right. So the word today is sorry. It's hard to say and it's not even connected to anything. I didn't even do anything wrong but to say it out loud, to say sorry. And it's hard for everyone. No matter who you are, I have three kids at home. Two of them are in the room right now. They are seven, five, and three. Most of my life is following these people around and convincing them that they need to say sorry. <laughs> Just like, hey, hey, no, 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 you go say sorry. Go, go, go say sorry. Go say sorry to your mother. Go say sorry. Go, go, why? Why say sorry? You just drop kicked him in the face. You need to go say sorry. And you would think that maybe that's just a thing for kids, that as we get older, saying sorry becomes easier. But I'm here to tell you I'm getting up there in age, and I'm starting to think it doesn't. All right? I think it's a myth. Sorry is no way easier to say now than it ever was, even with the people that are closest in our lives. Saying sorry is so hard, isn't it? Anybody else with me? Are you guys? Yeah. I'm telling you, you get into those situations where you know, if I just said sorry right now, it could change the trajectory of everything. We could get moving in the right direction if I could say sorry, and then we get there to that point and we say, and another thing, (laughs) we justify, we get defensive, we say, I just think it's funny how 
I can promise you whatever comes next is not going to be funny. Not even a little bit of what comes next is going to be funny. But we try. We get defensive. It barely comes out. And when it does, it comes out kicking and screaming. Saying sorry is hard to say. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. And I think it's kind of a unique approach because a lot of times when we talk about sorry, it's usually lagging behind forgiveness, right? When we see it, it comes up from the sense of, hey, someone has done something to us. We need to figure out how we can forgive them, how we can accept their I'm sorry. But we're going to flip it today. Because what if we're the ones that need to say sorry? Ouch. Like what if we're the ones that messed up? How do we say that? And where does that power really come from, from saying, I'm sorry? And to look at this, we're going to be looking at the words of Jesus. He actually has a lot to say. You know, when Jesus was walking this earth, he found himself face to face with a group of people who could not say these words. They could not say, I'm sorry. They always thought that they were right. Those are the best kind of people to be around, right? You just love them so much. But you get the picture through these interactions between Jesus and this group of people called the Pharisees that Jesus is doing everything he can to get them to say sorry, to show them why they need to say sorry, sorry to one another and sorry to God. And to look at one of these interactions, we're going to be in a book of the Bible called Luke. It's in chapter 18, starting in verse 9. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and flip there. But if you don't and you want one, if you want to leave here with the Bible, you can at every campus in our lobby. Stop by Connection Central. That is a free gift from us to you. Don't just take our word for what the Bible says. Take it with you. Read it and study it. See what God has to say to you. But go ahead. Dive in. Luke chapter 18. It says, Then Jesus told this story. And this is important to know who he's talking to. He told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. So they had great confidence in their own righteousness. They had a lot of confidence in being right. And this is what prompts Jesus to tell the story that he is going to tell. And these people, these are the Pharisees. That's who Jesus is talking to here. And look at what he says. He says, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. And the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee, he stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers, and I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. And here it is. You can see right away why Jesus might have had a little bit of a problem with these people. They step up and then his immediate prayer is, God, thank you that I'm not like other people. And then he starts pointing out the other people. It's almost like he's reading the room with this prayer, which means he's breaking Christian rule number one. You can't pray with your eyes open. All right. But that's what he starts doing. He says, God, thank you that I'm not like these other people, that I'm not like one of those cheaters over there, that I'm not like one of these adulterers, and that I'm not a sinner. And then he saves the biggest one for last. And he says, oh, God, look at this. No, thank you that I'm not like that tax collector. 
He doesn't say, God, thank you that I'm not like a tax collector. He says, God, thank you that I'm not like that tax collector. And what he's doing in this moment by saying, God, thank you that I'm not like these people, that I'm not like a sinner, he's saying, God, I have nothing to be sorry about. Sorry, not sorry, all right? You really broke the mold when you made me, which is a bold strategy, and we'll see how it pays off. Because next, what Jesus does is he compares and contrasts. He used the prayer of this Pharisee, this person that would have seen as the most upstanding citizen, the leader of this religious organization, someone that was loved and respected and admired. And then he switches, and he sees things from the angle of someone that was seen as the exact opposite, someone that was hated, someone that was despised. It's the very person that the Pharisee called out at the end of his prayer when he said, God, thank you that I'm not like that tax collector. Then we get to see how the tax collector responds, how he prays. Look at this. It says, but the tax collector, he stood at a distance and he dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, God, oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Like, what a difference. The tax collector stood at a distance. He didn't even bother to come close. He barely made it through the temple. He's right there at the exit, and he says, this is as far as I can go. I can't go any farther. I shouldn't even be here. And I know there's some people in the room today that felt that. That you barely get through the doors on a Sunday before you stop and you think, I cannot go any further than this. I shouldn't be here. And there's some of you that didn't even make it this morning because some of those same thoughts were swirling around in your head. And you said, I can't even go in today. I'm just going to watch it online. If that's you, you are in good company because that's where the tax collector is. And that's where he is when he begins to say this prayer of, oh, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. What is he saying? He's saying, God, be merciful to me. He's saying, God, would you forgive me? What does he need forgiveness for? He says it right there, because I'm a sinner. He asked for forgiveness for the very thing that the Pharisee just thanked God that he wasn't a sinner. And the tax collector says, no, 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 God. Please forgive me because I am a sinner. What does that mean? You see, a lot of times by the time we come in contact with words like sin or sinner, they're usually kind of blasted or shouted from a megaphone or maybe we see them on a blog. But one of the best ways that the Bible uses to describe sin is in relation to archery. It's actually a term that was used for archers And it was a term for missing the mark. When someone took a shot and they missed the mark. So sin, if we want to think about it this way, is missing the mark. What mark are they missing, though? You see, what they're talking about here is God's mark. God has a perfect standard for life. It's his way. He is perfect. His way of life is perfect. This is it. This is the mark. Everything outside of that would be considered sin. And the Bible goes into great detail about what sin is. There's so many laws and commandments. You may have seen like a top 10 of, hey, here's the top 10. And they're like, uh, you know, don't kill anyone. And some of us are like, yep, all right, I can do that. You know, don't don't cheat on your spouse. I'm like, okay, okay. But then Jesus steps in and he says, okay, yeah, you've heard it said, you know, don't kill anyone. And everyone's like, yep. And he says, no, okay, try this one on. 
Don't even have thoughts of anger towards someone else. Well, that changes things. We just quickly moved outside of perfection. And he says, you've heard it said, you know, don't be an adulterer. Don't, don't cheat on your spouse. But I'm telling you, don't even have a thought of lust. Because if you do, you're no longer perfect. And that becomes a really big, heavy thing. We see all that sin is. It, beca- it almost seems impossible at first. So what's a sinner? If, if, if sin is missing the mark, a sinner is simply a person who missed the mark. We're the ones holding the bow. And if you're, you, you guys are a little tense. I promise you, there is not a chance in the world I'm firing this thing, all right? I'm from the west side of Indianapolis. I have never held a bow in my hand. It's not going to happen today, okay? So we can, we can come down a little bit. But we are the sinners. We are the ones that took our shot. We are the ones that missed God's perfect mark. And who missed it? Look at what Romans says. Romans 3 says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And when you start thinking about it that way, when this is God's glorious standard, that if we could hit that with our lives, if we could live that perfect life, that's where we would end up. But the Bible says, no, we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And I think a lot of times we try to justify it of like, okay, maybe I'm not perfect, but maybe I'm just like right about there, you know, right there on the fringe of being perfect. I'm as good as it gets. I'm good enough. But no, it says all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. It's like it didn't even make its way to the target, but it bounced its way all the way there. That's what the Bible says about what it is to be a sin, or what it is to sin and what it is to be a sinner. And that's what the tax collector understood. That's what brought him to this spot of saying, oh God, be merciful to me, for I'm a sinner. The translation, what is he saying? He's saying, I'm sorry for missing the mark. Forgive me. I'm sorry for missing the mark. Forgive me and accept my apology, not on the grounds of how close I got to hitting your perfect standard, but on the grounds of the fact that you're a good God and I'm a sinner. The only shot I got at this thing is how good you are, not about how good I am. That is the prayer of the tax collector. And look at what Jesus does. Look at how Jesus explains this story. No one would have seen it coming. He says, I tell you, this sinner, the tax collector, not the Pharisee returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. No one would have seen this coming. What is happening? The tax collector and not the Pharisee was justified? But the Pharisee, he spent his whole life practicing. He had a bow and arrow at home. He took shot after shot, got as close to perfect as anyone had ever seen. But Jesus says, no, no, no. He didn't leave justified. It was actually the tax collector. And what does it mean to be justified? It just means that to be in right standing with God. That it says in that moment, that day, that tax collector left on good terms with God. But he's a tax collector. He literally cheated people out of money for a living. He was what anyone would say is a bad man. He had a rough past. He didn't belong. He was standing on the edge for a reason. And yet he's the one that says, no, no, no. He walked away justified. He walked away with a right standing with God. So, so hear that. 
For those of you that barely made it through the doors today, hold on to this story and the way Jesus approaches the tax collector. Because what we're saying, not we, Jesus, is saying is that I can mess up, I can fall short, but if I come to him and I say a prayer, a broken prayer, like, oh God, be merciful to me for I'm a sinner, and you're telling me that he accepts our apology, he accepts our sorry in a moment, and we can leave that place forgiven, we can leave in right standing with God, that's what you're telling me? That's exactly what we're saying. That's exactly what Jesus says. And this is where we are getting to the beauty of the gospel. Everything the world says, anything that you see out there, from religion to everything, it says, hey, you want to be good? Try harder. Get that bow straight. Fire, 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 fire again. Keep going. Keep trying. Get as close to perfect as you can. Jesus is the complete opposite. Jesus says, stop. Bring me your hands. Bring me your bow. You can shoot that shot. You can try to live the perfect life, and you can get as close as you think you can. Or, this is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus. Or you can hand me that bow, and you can watch me do it. You can look, and you can see that I was the only one that lived the perfect life. And Jesus, in that moment, is willing to take the shot for us. And here's the good news. Jesus does not miss, ever. He lived it. We've seen it. We've seen what he did. And we've seen what he offers us. Jesus does not miss. And because of that, we get to say we're with him. That it doesn't matter that we messed up. It doesn't matter that we fell short. He forgives us. And there's a word that Jesus weaves throughout this story. And he kind of closes it out with. And it's the word that's in there that's the game changer. It's that changed everything between the Pharisee and the tax collector it's what will change our relationship between us and Jesus and with one another. If we can hold on to this, world, on this word, it's what it's about. Take a look. That line one more time. It says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's exactly what we just saw played out, right? The tax collector, he stepped in and he tried to justify himself. And he did it. He did it by comparing himself to other people. He did it by pushing other people down. He did it by pointing out their imperfections to make himself look better. But that didn't change the fact that he could actually justify himself. That didn't change the fact that he truly did hit the mark. Jesus said, no, no, no. For you to hit the mark, you will actually have to surpass the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. So even the Pharisees couldn't live that perfect life. So what was the difference? It was humility. You see, the tax collector humbled himself and was justified before God. It wasn't about anything that he had done or said outside the fact that he came to God with an apology in hand and said, I'm sorry, God, forgive me. And Jesus stepped in and said, you are forgiven. Let me take this shot for you. That was the game changer. And that spirit of, of having humility, everything from the way he prayed to where he stood in the temple, those are the things that will change our relationship, not only with Jesus, but with one another. And if we could leave it there, I think a lot of us could probably swallow that. That if there is a perfect God out there, it makes sense that we would fall short of his standards, right? It, would make, it makes sense that we couldn't live up to that, that we miss God's mark for sure. 
But that's not the only mark that we miss, right? So even if you're here today and you, you can't really process what it feels like to miss the mark with God because you don't believe in God, you know the feeling of missing the mark with someone that you love. You know that feeling that comes when you decided, hey, I'm going to hit this mark. I'm going to love people really well. And then we do or say something and we fall short. We, we know that feeling and, and what, it, what it's like. That's a tough thing to step into, that we're the ones that dropped it, that we're the ones that messed up. And it's not even just that. It starts so close to home. It starts with ourselves. Even when we say, this is how, this is my mark for me. This is the standard I'm going to set for myself. My body is a temple. From this day out, I'm going to show me a good time. I'm going to appreciate me. So listen, you know, it's Sunday night, but this week is going to be different. This week, I'm going to work out four times a week. No more fast food. I'm doing it. I'm hitting the mark. I'm going to do what needs to be done. And then the week flies by, and you wake up Friday. You haven't worked out once. This is completely hypothetical, all right? <laughs> and you get to your truck, and you open the door, and you see it there, the evidence You not only ate fast food, you see it, the Popeye's chicken sandwich wrapper right there on the edge, just moving you all the way from perfection. Not only did you eat fast food, you went against your queen. You went against Chick-fil-A. And you're sitting there like, what happened? I had a plan. I had standards. And everything seems to fall down in front of us. What is that? Why is it so hard that we can't even hold ourselves to this? We can't even hit the mark we set for ourselves or for others. Or when we tell ourselves, this is how I'm going to treat other people. I'm going to be loving. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be patient. And we drop the ball. We say, no, this is how I'm going to approach people. And it seems like our efforts fall short once again. What is that? Why do we fall short? And why is it so hard to say sorry when we do? I'm going to tell you, it's pretty profound and deep. It took me a long time to write it, so take notes. Um, it's we are sinners, all right? Very eloquent, I know. Probably publish a paper on it later this year. But we are sinners. We all miss the mark. That's what makes this so hard. Me, you, our neighbors, our coworkers, even those tiny little people we call children and our kids, they miss the mark. Sinners, the whole lot of them. So what makes that so hard is not only that we mess up, but it's what happens when we do. Because when we mess up, when our arrow does not hit the mark, when we're going after other people and ourselves, we're trying to treat them with respect, we're trying to do everything we can, and we come to them with an apology, what we're doing is we're bringing them that arrow. We're saying, hey, I missed the mark back there. I didn't treat you the way that I should have. I shouldn't have said that. Hey, I'm, I'm sorry. And this is what makes it so hard, because you're handing that to a sinner. You're handing that to someone that could use it against you. And a lot of us have had that experience where we went first. We said, hey, that's my bad. I messed that up. Hey, I'm, I'm sorry. And then what happened when we did? It felt like they took that arrow and they kind of stabbed us with it. It's like we said, I'm sorry, but then they used the arrow to keep us down. 
And it seemed like we lost a whole lot more than we gained when we said, I'm sorry. So the older we get, the better we get at pretending and justifying to ourselves that we really don't have a reason to say sorry. Because when we're sorry, that's when people leave. When we, when we show weakness, that's when everything begins to fall apart. So no, no, I'm going to puff my chest up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay strong. I'm going to show that I don't have anything to be sorry about. And as we do that, we for sure become bulletproof. No arrows can penetrate us, but nothing could come out either. At the cost of not saying I'm sorry, it's at the cost of being known, of being loved, and being accepted. And I, can I just say that that cost is way too high. And that will not lead us to a place that can change your life in any way that is impactful or better. But can I propose that just because of how it went down, that doesn't mean that saying sorry is wrong. There is nothing wrong about being vulnerable. There's nothing wrong with coming to say, someone and saying, I'm not perfect, I messed up. And that saying sorry, it might actually be the domino. That when we begin to hand that over, that it kind of softens us up to a place of real vulnerability and real relationships where we can know other people and they can know us, but that is hard. So what I just want to do with the, our remaining time is just kind of look at that. To say, what are some things that we can do? Because if sorry is a word that can change our lives, how can we bring it back into the forefront? How can we use it in a healthy way? And I'm just going to throw out a few questions of how we can do that. But before we get there, I just want to say one thing. If you are here today and you are in an abusive relationship, whether that's physically, emotionally, you are being abused. Saying sorry is not the end-all, be-all. There's more steps that need to come with that. And if that's you, we'll have people at the front of our stage at every campus after every service. So make sure you talk to someone before you leave. What we're talking about here today is how when we come with our sorry in our hands and we say, I'm sorry, we're talking about how that can infuse health, how that can change a relationship from day one. That's what we're going to be looking at today. And one of the best ways that we can do that is by starting with our relationship with God with how God has framed up the relationship between me and you. He's infused it in there. He's made it a part of the ingredient list. God makes it overly clear that, hey, when you fall short, and you will fall short, don't run, don't hide, don't try to justify yourself. No, no, come to me, bring me the missed arrow, you apologize to me, and I will not hold it against you. He adds that into our conversation question is, have we? And this may sound a little weird, but have you given people permission? In your lives, have you given people permission to say, I'm sorry? And a marker of this is just this question, one that you can look at today and in your group this week is, when was the last time someone said sorry to you? This could be a good marker. If you're thinking back and you can't think of a time when someone came to you and said, hey, I, I'm sorry for that or I'm sorry for this. It may be a good time to circle back and kind of go into those relationships and say, hey, what is it? Is there anything between us that makes you feel like you can't be honest and vulnerable with me? Is there anything that makes you think that I wouldn't accept your sorry? And then to take it a step further, dive a little bit deeper and to say, okay, when someone did say sorry last... How did I respond? Because I'm telling you the truth, church. We are sinners, and maybe you can relate with this. 
that when someone says sorry, when someone brings you that arrow, there is a moment when pride sneaks in, where sin creeps up, and in that moment, we feel the power exchange. This person is vulnerable. This person is weak. And our gut response a lot of times is, oh, you're not sorry yet. I'm going to hold you in this position a little bit longer. And I know that's dark, but it might just be real. I know I've felt it before. But what we're talking about here, for, for sorry to be infused into our relationships, for sorry to be part of our vocabulary, when someone brings it to us, we can't hold it against them. We can't keep them down with it. But we have to be in a spot where we can say, okay, thank you for bringing that to me. And be able to apologize and to have forgiveness for this other person, even if it's not in the moment. We're not going to hold it against them. That's one. When was the last time someone said sorry to you? And the second one kind of goes with it. And if you really want to know how to infuse I'm sorry into everyday language, it's by going first. So the question is, when was the last time you said sorry to someone else? When you messed up, when was the last time when you messed up, when you did or said what you should not have done or said, did you come with an apology in hand? Did you say, hey, that was me, I did that, I'm sorry, I'm sorry? Or did you feel something well up within you to justify it, to defend it? You see, a lot of times when we mess up, sorry is one of the last things if it ever comes out. We find other words to fill its place. A few words that really take its spot are at least, right? Maybe you can think back to a time where you messed up, but you couldn't bring yourself to that, that moment of vulnerability. So you said at least. Yeah, I didn't call last night. I missed dinner again, I know, but at least I have a job. At least I bring money home. Why don't you thank me for that? Instead of pointing out everything that I did wrong. We justify ourselves by comparing ourselves. At least I'm not like Jim. Doesn't even have a job. And you want to come at me with this? At least. And I can tell you where the arrows really begin to come out. Is when you mess up, when I mess up, and we, instead of apologizing, we say, who are you to come at me? At least I didn't do what you did. And then that arrow that the other person thought had been reconciled, the other person thought had been dealt with, comes out. And we do everything we can, even exploiting the people we love the most in hopes of saving ourselves from saying, I'm sorry. But I'm telling you, what Jesus says here is that we don't have to do that. That if we can humble ourselves, we can truly say, I'm sorry and mean it. And just think about how refreshing that would be this week in your relationships with the people that you love most and, and with you saying it. As someone came up to you, instead of justifying it, instead of turning the tables, instead of explaining it away, what if someone just came up to you and said, hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I didn't show up. I'm sorry I didn't value your time. I'm sorry. Unjustified. I'm sorry. With our kids. Hey, I lost my temper back there. I, I should not have handled that the way that I did. I am sorry, unjustified, not explaining it away, but really coming arrow in hand and saying, hey, I am sorry. Think about how refreshing 
that would be. Think about how different that would be from a lot of times the way we approach conflict with one another. If we could just come and say, hey, I'm sorry. And if we did that, if we just did these two few things, unjustified sorry, if we would think back on the times, when was the last time I said sorry? And we kind of dove deep into that and we started saying sorry more. And if we looked at our lives and say, hey, do people feel like they have permission to say sorry to me? Is there something I need to do to open up some vulnerability in the relationship? I'm telling you, if we did those two things, that could change your life. That could change your relationships. If those few things were implemented tomorrow, that could change it. But church, I just want to give you something that can change your life. Because these are two great things that could, but there is one thing that for sure we know that can, and that is Jesus. And it's when we see. who Jesus is. You see, this is all centered on and powered by our relationship to Jesus. And when we can see how humble we come to Jesus, that's, when, that's what completely changes everything. You see, we've talked a lot today about the gospel, the good news, the fact that, you know, we fell short, that our lives, we fell short of God's perfect mark. But Jesus steps in and he says, no, let me take the shot for you. And that is a beautiful picture. But that is only half of the gospel. You see, half of the gospel is that we are sinners. We fell short of the glory of God. And God was willing to offer a perfect sacrifice for me and you. The second part is what happens with all of the missed arrows. You say each one of these missed arrows had to be accounted for. For each one of these missed arrows, there was a penalty. There's a penalty for falling short. There's a penalty for, for not hitting this perfect mark. And the penalty for it, it's heavy. Take a look at it. It's in Romans. Chapter 6, verse 23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. It says, that missed arrow, the wages, what has to be paid now for missing the mark is death. Separation from God for all of eternity. That is the cost. Those are the wages. But look at this, church. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We will never be able to say sorry like we should until we see what our missed arrows did to Jesus. You see, the gospel is not only that Jesus stepped in and took the shot for us. The gospel is Jesus took the shot that was meant for us. That penalty, those missed arrows, the penalty was death. And Jesus says, no, 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 I love them far too much for that. Let me step in and take their place. And when we begin to see, when we see Jesus on a cross, when we see Jesus dying for everyone on this planet, but we see the arrow, we see that it was my arrow that he fell short. It was my arrow that fell short. It was my arrow that brought Jesus to the cross. It was my arrow that held him there. 
you can no longer see Jesus on the cross the same. You can't help but look at that cross and see Jesus and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that's where I brought you. I'm sorry that this is what happened. God, be merciful to me, for I'm a sinner. Look what I've done. And our missed arrows, they took Jesus to the cross. And they killed him. He died on that cross. But he did not remain dead. He was not done, not by a long shot. And Jesus rose. And we are justified, not by how close we got to the target. We are justified through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That Jesus would come in and deal with sin and pay its wages once and for all, even when it meant giving his own life to do it. That is the gospel. When we can come to this spot truly humbled by the fact that we were loved enough that God would die for us, that we are worth dying for, that brings you to a different mind place. That brings you to a different mind frame where we can say, oh, God, you love me so much that you would die for me. That brings a whole new level of freedom. It's no longer about being perfect. No, you have so much to live for. You have so much freedom. You're not worried about what's going to happen with these missed arrows. You're not worried about one of them flying into your side because you know that Jesus has already taken care of them. Jesus already took them on the cross. Now I can live in freedom. Sorry isn't hard to ask for. Forgiveness isn't hard to ask for because I know that Jesus said, Father, forgive him, forgive all of them. And I know that he meant it because he was willing to die to say it. And so now we come. We come before God and we truly humble ourselves. The most humbling thing we will ever have is that we were bad enough that the Son of God had to die for us to be made right. But now we are. Now we are justified. And now our lives truly can change. And if you're here today, I hope you've kept up with this the whole time. This is Jesus' story. This is the gospel that he wants his church to know. He wants his sons and daughters to know, and that is everyone. That he paid the cost, that he took the shot, that he has done everything. It doesn't matter where you are, what you've done, that in this moment, just like the tax collector, we can all say a broken but beautiful prayer, like, oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. And we can leave this place justified before God. So what we want to do right now is just open it up. Open it up for a time of reflection. Open it up for a time to stand before God, to see him on the cross, to see that it was our arrows that brought him there, but to see that he offers us forgiveness, that he offers us new life, that he justified us through his resurrection. And I'm going to pray that prayer over all of us. God, be merciful. And it's a prayer that you can respond to. And it's a prayer that you can walk out of here justified because of Jesus through. So pray with me. God, thank you so much for today. God, thank you for what you did with our missed arrows. We missed. We fell short of your perfect standard. But God, you are gracious. 
God, you looked at us and you heard our prayers of, God, we are sinners, but you are gracious. Will you forgive us? We are sorry. And God, over and over again, year after year, generation after generation, you accept our apologies. You forgive us. And because of that, lives are changed. Because of that, we get the free gift. God, we thank you. God, I pray that we would be encouraged to pray that prayer today. I pray for all the ones that are going to pray that for the first time. I pray that all of that could be removed. No more trying to be perfect, but God, we could humbly come before you and one another. We could say sorry, and we could mean it. Jesus, we love you. It's in your perfect name that we pray. Amen.